this is Betsy Foldis-Myman. Welcome to Connectapod. With our annual Changing the Narrative series, we work with youth in communities that have a very cliched narrative. We work with them to examine that narrative and to see what's right, what's wrong, or what's just plain missing. The youth work to create their own narrative that is more accurate and nuanced and more based upon their own experiences and observations. This year, we're working with refugee and asylee youth, and we're partnering with the International Rescue Committee. In 2018, our youth reporters interviewed Jonathan Fine Proano, who is the integrations manager for the IRC for the Los Angeles office. Fellow ConnectiPod co-founder Andrea Longoria Lopez and I wanted to start off having Jonathan clarify what the difference is between asylee, refugee, and immigrant, and learn more about what IRC does and what kind of community our youth will be coming from. So here we go. So why don't we start with what is the IRC and like what is their vision statement? All right. What is the IRC? Well, first of all, thank you. I know that thanks to both IRC and actually myself have, have been partnering with you guys for years now at the mm-hmm. behest of our Pacoima librarian, who's now in Kenoga <laughs> Park, but she still keeps in touch with all of us. Um, so <laughs> IRC, it's a humanitarian response agency in over... 30 plus country programs and 26 offices in the US. What most people know is the work that we do abroad, which is the the emergency response. We do operate refugee camps and refugee support centers across the the world. We are currently responding to the crisis in the Ukraine and the neighboring countries. And we, of course, were uh, in responding, still responding, I should say, to the situation in Afghanistan. So in in our international work, that's what most people see. But we actually have a fairly large and active source of work that we do here in the U.S. And that's focused in helping refugees, societies, and immigrants integrate into the fabrics of their communities. So we have our traditional, let's call it refugee resettlement, which helps refugees and asylees find their footing in the first 90 days, identify housing, getting kids enrolled in school, helping the adults find their first job in the U.S., hopefully go back to school as well. But then we also have immigrant integration, and that is focusing on the needs long-term to beyond those first 90 days or even that first year of resettlement or arrival in the U.S. where we look at their financial health and what is financial success for them. Where we look at their language needs. A lot of them may not speak language natively or fluently to be able to be employed or go back to school. So that is a long-term skill that we work with them. And for a lot of them, if not most of them, we focus on helping them reach that final step in their immigration path, which is becoming citizens. And then hopefully we actually don't see them again because that means that we've done our job and they've reached the end point of that road. What comes to mind when you say that is our our series together is called Changing the Narrative, Refugee and Asylee Youth. So what is the difference between refugee and asylee? Theoretically, there's actually two definitions for a refugee. And then we have a definition for an asylee. So refugee with a big R, as we call it, are those refugees who come through the refugee pipeline, through the refugee process, through the United Nations, or through one of the pathways that the federal government has established, which is a refugee who's entitled to all the benefits under the law, who's entitled to all the protections, and has a direct and clear pathway to citizenship. They have all the support of a resettlement agency and of community organizations and of the government to succeed, right? Um, then we have what's called refugee with a little r. It's a person that's also fleeing persecution, political instability, economic instability, or a variety of other socio-political and economic situations in their home country. 
but they may not be here as a refugee with a big R. They, that means they could have presented themselves at the border and requested asylum or requested protection. They could have come out to the U.S. on a, on a tourist visa or any other kind of visa, but they themselves are still somebody who are fleeing in situations. So, for example, Afghans and Ukrainians, for the most part, especially from August, a year ago today, um, and right. from earlier this year, they're what we called refugee with a little r because they, they still have the same needs, but legally the government and, and the availability of, of programs is a little bit different. And then an asylee is very similar to refugee with a big R in that they have fled a situation. They were able to present themselves, however, at a border with the United States or within the United States and have requested as uh, asylum. So they're seeking asylum and they're going to go through a legal process to demonstrate that yes, they're indeed eligible for that asylum status. And then once that asylum is granted, or if that asylum is granted, then they're warranted and granted the same protections as refugee with a big R, uh, 90 day service period, access to public benefits, and a direct and clear path to citizenship eventually. When we first started talking about changing the narrative and doing this, we were thinking about the languages that we would need to be able to work through translators with a lot of the kids. And it wasn't just Spanish, but it was Quechua and it was, you know, indigenous languages. But now it's increased to include Ukrainian and Pashto and Dari, right? So your whole group right now, the group of kids that we're going to work with, what is the, the span of their cultural backgrounds? So... The population that IRC works with right now, which is unaccompanied children's program, these are all minors who were presented at the border and without normally without a guardian, without an adult with them. And they are, for the most part, asylum seekers. We've seen unaccompanied minors from Afghanistan. We've seen unaccompanied minors from the Ukraine. We've seen unaccompanied minors from India and from Eastern Africa. But a lot of the unaccompanied minors that our office works with in California, in Los Angeles, are... I would say 98% from Central and South America. And they're not from traditional Spanish-speaking communities. So as you were mentioning that in that linguistic diversity, a lot of them speak a type of Mayan dialect or another type of indigenous dialect. They speak Spanish because, they, yeah, they were living in Spanish-speaking countries. The native languages of most, of most, if not all, Latin American countries, with the exception of Brazil and the three little countries on top, is Spanish. But... They may not know how to navigate legal terms. They may not know how to navigate school terms. Simple right. as you need to go register for school. Well, what is register? Your kid cannot be truant, right? Your kid has to be enrolled in school. Well, what is truancy, right? right? There's also a cultural thing where they may come from a family situation or family dynamic or even a, a small town dynamic where everybody works. I come from Ecuador. I was born in the capital, but you can easily drive in any one direction, one hour, and you can find social groups where, yeah, it's perfectly acceptable and fine for kids to be working, right? In the U.S., minors cannot be working. You cannot have a 10 or 12-year-old out in the fields, or you cannot have them working out in your, your mechanic shop. And language is one of those key aspects that we have to navigate. And it's trying to con convey that message in, in English or in Spanish. And then realizing that maybe from that Spanish communication, we are not relaying enough information adequately. So navigating those, those linguistic barriers can sometimes be hard, but we, 
we find ways to communicate because they're so willing to to thrive. There's a, a, a resilience and a drive to thrive. This is they a lot of them see it. This is my chance to to bring about and have a new new life, right? They'll also go out of their way to find ways to communicate with you, and we will meet them and try to try to make it as as seamless as possible. We've been lucky in that way. We we put that out through a friend of ours who works for the UN that we're going to need some translators. And we've had several people with Pashto and Dari come forward and say, I want to volunteer for this project. The immigrant refugee community is, seems so willing to help each other. I'm a very big proponent of I learn what I teach. Mm -hmm. So even in the citizenship classes, when you guys interviewed me and we did that, that first episode, Within the citizenship classes, we encourage students to teach each other, right? Like we have the teachers, we have the, the instructors, we have the tutors, we have the material. Uh, everything's in English with language translation for a few things. But we encourage them to teach each other because they understand each other even better. And we tell them, come back, tell your classmates from your own class, how was the interview? How, how did it go? What did the officer say? And they're going to appreciate it even more because you've been through it. When we interviewed you with the kids, we did that at the, at the Pacoima Library. I think we work so well together because that's how we approach it, too, because those kids were learning how to interview by interviewing mm -hmm. you. And they were at varying levels of proficiency, and the ones that were very proficient led the ones that weren't. weren't. The scope of this project is, is huge because we're working remotely because of the pandemic, but really... A lot of it is because of distance. So can you explain a little bit of where all of the kids that we are going to be working with, where they physically are? Right. So the service area for our office is actually a fairly large service area. Our clients in Orange County are part of the service area. As far east as San, San Bernardino Riverside, as far northwest as Santa Barbara, and as far north as Bakersfield, Fresno. And of course, LA County, uh, but they're spread across that entire region. It's always that kind of like blessing in disguise of COVID is it allowed us to broaden our services virtually to make it accessible to our clients who are out in Fresno or Bakersfield who, or right. who are out in Serapin or Dean Riverside or in uh, Palmdale or in Victorville, because now they can, they know that they can have access to us and to the services virtually. If you're not from LA, that that sure. service area <laughs> is a diameter of several hundred miles, right? Across mm -hmm. that circle of that circumference. So that's a huge amount. We were talking about possibly doing the end product of this collaboration, which would be a, a, an audio play based on all of their experiences in person, but it's not possible for minors to get Ubers to be able to get together. So therefore, it will mostly be remote unless we can figure out a way to do that. Before the pandemic then, were your services not offered remotely or were just people just not aware of it or not used to doing things remotely? Well, there's that. I think that would be one of the biggest differences. And not only for us, there was no feeling that doing things remotely or virtually was an okay thing. It was seen as either cheaper or lower quality or mm -hmm. it's not the same. Um, but we realized and we, we've been able to show it's like you can get the same service, right? You don't get the face-to-face -face human contact. That's definitely something that we cannot ever get with, with virtual right. services. But it's the accessibility piece. As an agency nationally, we all thought that our programs were accessible. 
in our minds before COVID, and many of us thought about this across the world, we're like, oh yeah, our programs are accessible. And we realized, well, shoot, now I have clients that I before never saw jump on the call, or I would have never seen at a library or would have never seen at the office. So right. all our caseworkers, whether it's in the resettlement program or within a company children's program, have not only an obligation, but it, it's something that we want to do to go right. see the family or the, or the child in person. Now we tell them, well, look, you don't have to drive out to our office. You can do them now on Zoom. Which is a wonderful thing because it really cuts out the cost of gas and the cost of time away from jobs or childcare. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see if we can pull this off of doing a hybrid because like you said, it's like that human contact creates such a different product as far as communication. But, you Absolutely. know, it might end up being all remote, but hopefully we can do that and get, you know, everybody together towards the end of it. You mentioned that you serve immigrants as well, which I, I don't recall you saying in previous um, conversations that we've had. So like if somebody is here mm -hmm. on their own, not a refugee or asylee by legal terms, so you service immigrants as well? Right. And that's uh, our office in that sense is, is very, very unique that that's always been our mission. Given that we're in Southern California, we're in LA, the melting pot of cultures and and the crossroads of religions and, and languages, that our programs will always, always, always serve refugees and asylees. But we're also going to serve the community. My program, it's a library-based, community-based program where immigrants in the community can access it. So there's a lot of word of mouth, for sure. One of our biggest outreach partners has been the Los Angeles Public Library and the Glenda Library. Both library systems have been very key in putting out our information to the community as an alternative. That's how we serve the community. We're by no means uh, like Chirla or Caresen, which are huge organizations in the community. They're, they're true immigration service providers that's the bread and butter. Um, but we we're also we also do that and then so, right? And that's how that's how we that's how we bill ourselves. With the unhoused youth that we worked with in the last changing the narrative, a lot of them were refugee or asylee or undocumented and they came in and they use the library services all the time. So it's kind of like, you know, if if the, any of them, I'm thinking of two kids in particular, if they had seen you with a t-shirt that said refugees welcome or seen that program, I'm sure that they would have availed themselves of it. Yep. The library is like the biggest community connector ever and they're advocates for everybody that needs them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're also safe spaces. That's the other thing that I uh, I always tell people, like it's it's safe. It's a place where you can go cool off in the summer, mm -hmm. like they're cooling zones. Mm -hmm. In the winter, they're places where you can stay dry and warm. But you can yeah. also mm -hmm. grab books, newspapers. You never yeah. know what program is happening in the community room ever. And for all you know, you might end up meeting all the resources and services you need, or you may walk out with baskets yes. of food. Yeah. So. That's where the library becomes this place also of connecting, like you were saying, Betsy, but it's a safe space to connect. So our scope of kids will come from what areas? Where they live or where they yeah. originally came from? Both. Most of them are in L.A. County or in the neighboring county, not too deep into their area. So. Right, but we're coming from, are, you had mentioned someone like someone in Victorville, someone down in, in, in South L.A. So we're coming yeah. from like a radius of like, you know, 100 miles, right? Up, up to 200 miles, but most of them were within 100 miles of our office. And actually, I would say 
yeah, the majority of them are going to be Central American. We might have some, some that are not Central American, but it's contingent upon me being able to talk to the parents and of course, ensuring that, that the parents are okay with it. But yeah, yeah. I would say 95%, if not a hundred percent of them will be, um, Central American or Latin American. And what languages are we looking to have translators for? Their official language is Spanish, but like I said, some of them do speak Spanish. They navigate it wonderfully without any problems. But we have a, about two or three that do speak uh, native Mayan dialects as their primary language. So one of them is Canjobal. Mm -hmm. The other one is Maya Quiche. So those are the two the two indigenous languages that I know two of the two of the kids do speak and their families do speak them. And I'm pretty sure that they'll be more comfortable if we can provide them an interpreter that does that. And again, there's only a handful in yeah. L.A. that can yeah. do it, but we know that they're out there and that we can uh, help them well, out. Yeah. So if you're out there and you speak either of those languages, <laughs> please right, contact right. us. Because not only would we like to be able to, for them to speak in their most comfortable language when they're interviewing and talking about whatever they want to talk about, I would love to mm -hmm. be able to do whatever they want to share, if it's a song or a poem or, or anything exactly. that they want to share in their language. I would love to be able to feature that language. So not only just for the means of communication, but for art's sake as well, to be able to highlight what that language is because that's kind of special and i think that culturally that means uh, a lot as far as what we're trying to communicate definitely definitely and i think when we talked about the project and i've talked about this internally with with my colleagues and and, and my executive director one of the things is we're all really good about telling adult stories right um, and it's <laughs> yeah. easy to get an adult to tell their story for the most part right but it's not that we forget, it's just harder to get youth to tell their story. And refugee and immigrant youth have gone through such, such a path to get here, but it's sometimes not told um, purely enough. There's uh, and, and we've talked about this, there's the purity and innocence and, and untarnished view of, of what happened to them when they got here or what, what it means for them to be here, that I think that if we can do it mm -hmm. in their native language, that's amazing, but if they want to do it in Spanish, we have some of them that are actually picking up English very quickly. And mm -hmm. we have a couple who've been through our summer program, who's been through a summer program three times now. And when she started, she didn't speak any English except the basics, like hello and goodbye, please and thank you. Right. But now she's comfortable enough in trying to have a conversation with you in English. So it's like, hey, when we first met, I, I had to speak to you in Spanish and you didn't want to talk to me in Spanish because wow. you were afraid of it. <laughs> and now look at you. She feels comfortable enough in trying to have, it's not perfect by any means, but it's that, that desire to do it that we hope. Yeah. I'd say it's that purity and that innocence and that, that, yeah. that openness. Imagining this girl, one of the things that we might be able to do would be to have her do a poem in English and, and have her read it. So not only would it be a conversation with her in her native language and maybe a little bit in English, but also do like a poem or a song in English and then coach her with it. So she would get right. that feeling of being secure in the language and then being mm. able to hear it and and have that present her. So that might be a way that we could work at, work on that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's really exciting. I'm so excited to work on this project because we don't know where we're going to go with it and how it's going to happen. And like you said, I with know. kids that have been <laughs> recently traumatized and, and, you know, being respectful of that, so much can be told in what they want to share. 
instead of the questioning of like the, the, the very straightforward, what did you go through and how was it and all of those things, they might not want to talk about that. But if what they choose to talk about, whether it's sharing the things that they miss or whether it's sharing what is weird and new about being here, you know, you, th that picture starts to emerge of what they're going through that is rather pure. I'm exactly. excited to see what comes out of this. And I'm so thrilled that they want yeah. to do it <laughs> and that they're it's brave a, enough because that's hard, right? It, it's that, yeah, it, it takes, takes bravery, but that bravery translates into resilience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Well, as the daughter of refugees, thank you so much for what you do. You know, I mean, I really, I, I understand what these kids are going through and their families, and it, they will remember you for their entire lives. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> I hope, I, I hope that they, they just remember to uh, give back. I was a teacher and I still teach to this day, but that's the one thing I always tell anybody and everybody is just pay it back, pay it forward. Um, mm -hmm. I, 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 I appreciate your kind words, but I always say like, don't thank me. Don't, don't appreciate me for anything. Just go out and do what, what you can with what I gave you. And if that means helping your community, that's great. If that means going out and opening up your own business, that's wonderful. Just, just go out and do something. That, that's all. And that's all that actually immigrants want to do. Um, they're yeah. already appreciative enough of the opportunity to be here, no matter how they got here, that they want to give back. And, yeah. and if IRC, Connect to Pod, Cares uh, and Catholic Charities, any of the other organizations can be a part of that. I see it as we've done our piece and it's up to them to take it from there and, and run, run crazy and, you know, be successful <laughs> and create their own version of success. Yep. Yeah. Jonathan, thank you so much. As always, it's a pleasure working with thank you. you and, uh, Thanks right. again. Well, Have a great week. Great. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. We are so happy to work with collaborators like Jonathan, so gracious and so effective at what they do. And thank you to the California Arts Council for helping fund this project. We look forward to bringing you the refugee, asylee, immigrant experience from a youth perspective. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening.